2 Kings chapter number 2 and verse number 9. And this is our key verse of scripture throughout this whole series of X2. And this is Elijah and Elisha right before Elijah went up to be in heaven. And it says, when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what shall I do for you before I am taken from you? And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit upon me. Everybody say, double me. How many of you in your life wish at times there were two of you because you could accomplish twice as much because you got so much that you need to get done? I've been there before. I mean, everybody's experienced where we need two of us to accomplish the ministry. The fact of the matter is there are over 5 billion unreached people in this world. I shouldn't even throw that out there. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you to erase that thought from your head because we can't even comprehend what 5 billion is. But if the 5 billion people are going to get reached, it's going to take 500 million new church plants to accomplish that. Okay, throw those two statistics out because we can't comprehend either one of those. What we can comprehend though is this. We can comprehend the fact that in Sulphur Springs, Texas, whether we realize it or not, whether we wanna see it or not, there are people who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The fact of the matter is there are people right in our city, right across the street, who have never been to church right here in the region that we live. And we're considered the Bible Belt. What I need you to begin to comprehend is God needs a double portion of you this next year. Now, we know that your multiplicity is not going to happen. There's not just going to be another one of you show up. So what God is going to have to do, he's going to have to supernaturally empower you to do the work of two people. I want you to know that God needs you this next year. It's not something, oh, if brother so-and-so is willing, I would love to use him. No, God is crying out. Is there anyone who is willing to go for the double this year? Is there any church out there who's willing to double the scope of their ministry for the sake of the lost coming to Christ? And when God began to pour that in my spirit throughout the middle of last year, when I got a Facebook message through a dear friend, and they said, Joel, I believe next year is going to be your finest hour as a church up to this point. And I began to pray about that and meditate on it. And it began to churn in my spirit. And the spirit of God began to speak. And he kept saying, times two. He said, if you'll trust me, I'll double the anointing on your life and the life of your church. And you will be the lampstand in this region for my gospel. Those are big words from a big God for this church. Last week, we talked about doubling the efforts. And how are we going to do that? And I threw out six words last week. The first word that I threw out and the word we're going to focus on this morning is excellence. Excellence is not a religious heavy hand of perfection on your life. So get that out of your head. Oh, I'm not good at anything, so I may as well not step out to sing. I may as well not step out to serve in mission field. I don't know how to do anything on the mission field, so I may as well not even sign up. That is not the case. We came to this conclusion as a church through staff and through leadership that good enough is not good enough anymore. God's raising us up as a body of believers to a place of excellence in this life that we live in. He's bringing us up another level. So no longer is excellence a goal that we try to attain once in a while. Excellence is a standard that we now operate by. I believe with all my heart that God's wanting a church to rise up to a place of excellence. And excellence is not religious perfection. Excellence is giving it your very best, giving it 100%. I would hate to think that when you left here this morning, you look up here at me and say, well, pastor just did good enough for me to stay. When God began to bring this to me, he said, Joel, here's what I need. He said, Joel, I need you to raise your standards. I need you to raise your level of excellence so the church has something to raise their level of excellence to. And so over this next year, you're gonna see me doing things different than you've ever seen me do in the past 15 years of ministry that we've been doing it. And it's gonna be raising my personal life to a better standard of excellence. 
I'm going to give God everything that's within my heart this year. And so as we're asking God to double the scope, and we're going to talk about excellence this morning, which is the title of this morning's message, X2-Excellence, as we know that good is not good enough, and we're going to begin to give God our very best, what does the Bible say about excellence? Well, I found this awesome verse of Scripture in Daniel chapter 6. And in verse number 3, it says, Then Daniel was preferred over all the presidents and all the princes. Now get this, Daniel was a slave boy from Israel or from Jerusalem that was taken into Babylon, and he was put in as a slave and you can read the story of Daniel it's in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament and it talks about how they went on a 10-day fast and Daniel was found wiser and more knowledgeable in all the areas that the king needed for what the king was going to do but then listen to this next part as he was preferred above all the presidents and all the princes this slave boy was preferred above them because an excellent spirit was within him because an excellent spirit was within him he was preferred above everything and everyone else if we're going to operate in a spirit of excellence this year the only thing that we have to do to do it is one thing get reacquainted with who jesus christ is that's it and as i began to study this message and i began to let god speak to me i began to be severely convicted about some of the things we're going to talk about this morning and i really had to do some serious repenting because i realized that i've let the world that i live in construct my view of who Christ really is. And so we're going to find out this morning, how do we get reacquainted with Christ Jesus? And so all you're reading this week, I need you to read the Sermon on the Mount as many times as possible this week. It's only three chapters. It takes about four and a half to five minutes. So that's 15 minutes of reading and you can cover all three chapters of the Sermon on the Mount. But if we're going to get reacquainted with Christ, we must begin to know what Christ is and who Christ is and what he came to do. So if you do have your Bibles this morning, I want you to flip on over to Matthew chapter number five because we're gonna divide the Sermon on the Mount this morning into four different parts. The four different parts of the Sermon on the Mount. Now this isn't something you'll find in some great theological study. This is what Joel divided it into of how I'm gonna display this message of getting reacquainted with Christ in four logical, reasonable steps that you can accomplish, that you can do to start living a life like Daniel said, there was a spirit of excellence found within him. Now, Matthew chapter number five and verse number one, this talks about, we all know it in the old school churches, what did you call it? The Beatitudes. And when I was in first and second grade, I remember it being on my public classroom wall, the Beatitudes, right next to the Ten Commandments on my public classroom wall in the schoolhouse. And so we've known this as the Beatitudes. And the next part, it talks about how you're supposed to love people. The next part, it talks about how you're supposed to live. And the last part, it talks about how you're supposed to leave. So here's what I want us to begin to do this morning. Laugh differently, love differently, live differently, and leave differently. This morning, the first thing I want to talk about is you need to start laughing differently as a believer. I mean, if you're not going to laugh as a believer, number one, nobody's going to want to be around you, okay? And how are you ever going to witness to one person about the gospel of Jesus Christ when you look like you just ate the worst pickle of your ever-loving life? <laughs> Amen? Some of you are the happiest, jo jo jovial people in the world until it comes to the Bible and talking about church. And you're like, well, yes, you know Jesus. <laughs> and you get all religious and strict and mean and ugly. And, and we wonder why people don't want to come to church with us. No, I want you to laugh differently. And some of you need to laugh as a believer more often. The Bible says a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. So if some of you would start laughing, maybe your life would start getting a little bit better. Every time something bad happens, you don't got to go, oh God, what spiritual warfare am I under now? No, you stumped your toe because you didn't watch where you were going. Laugh about it. <laughs> okay? And I need believers this next year to laugh and be happy in church. Okay? 
I need you to be happy about where God and what God is doing in your life. Where do I even get this from? Pastor, you're talking about the Beatitudes, and right here in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 1, actually starting in verse number 3, it says this. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Nowhere in that word do you see the word, or verse do you see the word happy. But in that verse, the word blessed, if you look it up in the Greek, only one word is translated from that word there, blessed. Now, there are other translations of the word blessed later in the New Testament. But right here, throughout the Beatitudes, blessed means happy, okay? And Jesus is about to tell you nine verses of how to get your ugly, no good, grumpy pants happy. You know the, the stigma that churches have. Well, why would I go there? Man, they're just as miserable as I am. They, they just got to sit through somebody talking. <laughs> Amen? So I need y'all to be happy this next year because this is what it means. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so this next week when you read the, Beati or the, the Sermon on the Mount a minimum of five times, a maximum maybe of seven times, Hope you'll, hopefully you'll read it 21 times, breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week, amen, and get it in you 21 times. When you read this, every time you see the word blessed here, I want you to translate it happy. Happy is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does poor in spirit mean? This is the translation of that verse. Happy are those who know their dependency is on God. You know, if you try to make yourself happy on your own, you're not going to get there. Well, if I just had money, it would make me happy. No, wouldn't you just be a ri miserable rich man instead of a miserable poor man? <laughs> You'd be a miserable rich person that's a grump with a lot of money rather than a miserable poor person who actually has a reason to seek God now. So in this process, happy is the man whose dependency is on God for his is the kingdom of heaven. Or hers is the kingdom of heaven. See, when we'll develop a dependency on God, there will be a supernatural joy placed in your life that you don't just have to come to church. You've got to get to church because you know when you get to church, you know there's going to be a measure of happiness there because you're not just depending on God, but you've got a bunch of other people depending on God. And the Bible says where two or more come together in his name, there he is in the midst and he shows up and there's a spirit of joy that begins to take place when believers come happy because they know they need God in their life. That's why I love that song. It's my favorite song in the world right now. We need you, God. Oh, we need you. Every hour, we need you. <laughs> because if I don't begin to, as I begin to rely on that song and think about that song, I am most happy when I am in the presence of God, depending, leaning, and relying upon him because without him in the blood of Jesus, I am poor in the spirit. In fact, I'm not just poor. I'm a slave, the Bible says. I'm not just a slave to the things of the world, but I'm a slave to the devil himself, the Bible says. And so if I begin to trust and have dependency on God, which is called faith, the Bible says, blessed or happy is he who depends on God for what his is the kingdom of heaven. And so God gives you nine other verses throughout this first 13 verses of Matthew chapter 5 on how for you as a believer to be happy. And some of you need to memorize those again. Because some of you really honestly and all joking aside have not seriously been happy in your Christian walk and you don't know how long. The happiest moment was when you got saved, and that's a pathetic state for any believer to be in. My happiest moment was not when I got saved. That was an astounding moment. It was an amazing moment. But I've had plenty of other moments after that where I've been just as happy because my dependency is on God. And if you're going to be happy in the Lord, you need to begin to understand that we're going to have to laugh differently. God gives us nine verses here how to be happy. The next one goes on to say, happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Well, pastor, those seem like oxymorons. How can I be happy if I'm poor in spirit? How can I be happy if I'm mourning? Well, I'm happy when I mourn because God says they will be comforted. The word comforted 
It translates to the same word in John chapter 14, the comforter, the Holy Spirit will come. So in your greatest midst of trial, in your greatest midst of mourning, there's a special blessing or happiness from God that can come on your life and God can touch you immediately, change you eternally, and your mourning can turn into dancing as the Old Testament says. And so as you go through all nine of those verses, God's wanting to give you a recipe for laughing differently as a believer. You don't just have to laugh at yourself anymore. And I believe this year there are going to be a lot of things in your life that would make you stumble and fall last year that this year you're going to laugh at. And you're going to say, oh, last year that may have got me, but this year, whoo, come on now. Thank you, Jesus. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm an overcomer. Me and my wife, we type this conversation so often. There are things that arise in the church and issues that got to be dealt with. Three years ago, it would have crushed us in the ministry. Now we just kind of laugh at them and say, whoo, remember when that was a big deal to us a few years back? And we laugh. And we begin to laugh because we know our dependency is on God. And so this year, everybody say, laugh differently. I need you to laugh differently as a believer. As you laugh differently, it's going to enable you to do this. Love differently. Everybody say, love differently. Now I want to, I'm just going to read you some of the subtitles. The love differently part is Matthew chapter 13, or Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through verse number 48. Now listen to what this says. These are some of the subtitles. Murder begins in the heart. Adultery begins in the heart. Go the second mile. Love your enemies. We're going to have to love differently. We're going to have to love so differently that people realize there's something different about our church just by the way we love them. I mean, just by the way we love them. Now, here's the key to this whole part of this passage, verses 13 through verse 48. Matthew 5, verse 27 is one part of it. It says, you have heard that it was said by those of old. It's a common phrase throughout those verses. You have heard it said by those of old. But we look at that and we say, what in the world is he talking about? It's like every believer here who is here today. And this is why I said I want you to get reacquainted with who Jesus is. Many believers today are going by their grandmama's gospel, not what Jesus Christ did or said. 150 years ago, half the nation still thought slavery was, slavery was right. It's not our grandmama's gospel. It's not. Listen, church, we're going to have to learn to love differently. There is a huge uprising of every issue imaginable coming against the church. And you want to know what the church keeps doing? Keeps taking punch after punch after punch after punch instead of loving them back. Instead of just pouring out your love on people who you don't necessarily agree with politically. Come on now. I hear more people in the body of Christ bash the president of the United States. And it makes me sick because we should love him. We should love him. I don't care if you agree with him. It doesn't make a difference to me if you agree with him. It doesn't matter. How many of you are married in here today? Have you ever disagreed with your spouse? I am so glad me and Sherry have never, ever disagreed <laughs> today. <laughs> Amen. We disagree on a million different things. We are both two headstrong people, very independent people. We, we have our own agendas, our own ideas of how things should be. I don't know how we don't butt heads all the time. But I love her. I mean, I love her, love her. Why? Because I made a decision to love her. Whether I disagree with her or not doesn't matter. Whether you disagree with somebody's alternative lifestyle doesn't matter. You're still called to love them. The Bible says, love your enemies, those who hate you. The, the Muslims, everybody's all up in arms against, oh my gosh, we need to go to war. No, we need to love as the body of Christ. You leave the decision of wars to the political powers in Washington, D.C., and whether you agree with them or not, you need to love them anyway because they're making a decision whether we go to war with the people you don't like anyway. <laughs> do, do you understand? we got to love differently. 
The church, if we're going times two, we got to love differently. We got to love passionately. We got to love wholeheartedly. And here's the problem with love. When I put my heart out to love my wife, I am opening myself up to all kinds of hurts, pains, and trials. Guess what? Jesus said, in this life, you'll have trials. Why? Because you're going to open yourself up to love people. That's why I love the last verse of the happy part. Because it says, happy are you when people will persecute you, revile you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you on my account. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets before you, so you may as well stand up, dance, and do a jig. Come on now. Because in the same way they did it to the prophets before you, because he ends with that, and he goes right into loving people that hate everything about you. Why do you think he ended with that? He ended with that to go into the next verse that says, you're going to have to love those who don't like you. You know, when somebody makes you go one mile, go with them two miles. What? Oh, I get furious with God sometimes. I'm glad he went with me two miles instead of just one. I'm glad he went with me several years, not just one. You're going to have to learn to love differently, church. I've got to learn to love differently. I'm not even going to say you because, man, if I struggle with it, I know a lot of people struggle with it. I'm going to have to learn to love differently in the midst of racial issues, in the midst of lifestyle issues, in the midst of war issues, in the midst of political issues. I'm going to have to learn to love people and love them differently. The Bible says faith works by love. The Bible says the greatest of these is love. The Bible says to love your neighbor as yourself. The Bible says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The Bible says that anybody who says they love God but yet hates their brother, they're a liar, the Bible says. We don't like to talk about those parts of the Bible, but we got to get reacquainted with Jesus. we got to get reacquainted with Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's doing. Many believers are living slash loving by what we've heard of old and not getting reacquainted with Christ Jesus. If we're gonna operate in excellence, we're gonna have to love in a way we've never loved. The love section, I'm gonna end with this. The Bible says, now I will show you the most excellent way if I speak in the tongue of men and angels but have not love. I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and have all knowledge but have not love, I have nothing. I can surrender my body to the flames to be burned, but if I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. The truth is Jesus Christ. Love never gives up. It always perseveres, the Bible says. And the faith, and these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Love differently, church. And if we're going to love differently, we're going to see exponential growth like never before. We're going to see God do amazing things. But in loving differently, it's going to require us to do this, to live differently. Because I can't, let's say I love somebody one way, but live towards it the opposite way. I can't say I love you for this and I love you unconditionally, but then begin to live and show actions just the exact opposite. So Jesus began to say throughout this whole thing, you're going to have to learn to laugh differently. You're going to have to learn to love differently. And now even as a Christian, hear me on this, you're going to have to learn to live differently. We're going to have to learn to live this thing out. Some of the subheadings of living this thing out, and this starts in chapter 6 and goes through chapter 7, verse number 6. It says, you're going to have to do good, live differently for one reason. Do good to please God. That's why you live differently. Our whole focus has got to shift. Our whole focus has got to change in how we live the way we live. Why we love the way we love to make us laugh the way we're supposed to laugh. We're going to have to live a little bit differently throughout this process. And in living differently, the only reason I'm going to live differently is because I'm doing it to please God. That's my whole agenda. That's my whole focus. That's my whole driving force behind everything that I do. One of the other subtitles is this. When you fast... Do it to be seen only by God. 
I'm so grateful several of you in this building are on a fast right now. And for the first 10 days of the year, the, from the second to the, through, through the completion of the 11th, you're on a fast. And we're believing God for amazing things. And I'm so grateful. I haven't seen people just out there blowing it up of how braggadocious it can be to say, oh, I'm fasting on this for seven days, 10 days, whatever. Because you're living differently. You're doing it to be seen only by God. One of the other things that it talks about under the segments of living differently, it talks about you can't serve God and money. Then it goes on to say, don't judge. And another one is, don't worry. Man, I see all these things about how we're supposed to do good to please God. Only fast so God can see it. Don't serve God in money. You can't serve God in money. Don't worry. Don't judge. And many times I see the church and I look at myself, not the church, just me. I look at me and I sit here and say, God, I don't line up with any of that. I don't. Sometimes I do good flat out to be selfish because it benefits me in the long run. I'll even admit it before. Sometimes I've fasted and people have known about it. And I really appreciated those pats on the back so much more than the approval of God. I've done that. I have to check myself several times. Am I serving God and money? Because you can't do both. Am I trying to do as much good as I can, but on the other side, make as much money as possible to benefit my selfish desires, but still do what I want to do? I can't do it. And then if I, don't, if I don't feel like this is right over here, then I get into worrying, and God says, don't worry about it because I got it anyway. And I see believers ate up with worry. And then in our worry, because worry is a force of fear, we sit here and we say, because of our insecurities, well, God, if I, I'm doing all this stuff good and right, what about them? What about that church? What about that person? And we begin to get in a place of judgmentalism. When God's not comparing you to anybody else in this world, God's leaving Aaron Hannah compared to the Aaron Hannah that he's designed in heaven. And he's watching Aaron Hannah run the race that Aaron Hannah was designed for run in heaven. So hear me right now when I say this. Let's live differently than we've ever lived before. You catch yourself worrying, stop. Get an accountability partner and say, hey, I worry way too much. Let somebody hold you accountable. Let somebody bring you to a place where you can begin to live differently. Excellence is living with a need to please God. It's living with a need to please God. That you know it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks of you, I've got a need to please my heavenly Father. Now here's a lot of the things that we mess up on as the church right here. In these verses, it all talks about the people who are followers of Christ. The problem is, what we deal with many times, Miss Robin, is we look at all these people knowing that it's for the body of Christ, but we apply these same standards to a world that's lost and dying. And we get mad at a world that's lost and dying because they're not living up to the standards of the Bible. They're not supposed to. That's why it's labeled worldly. It's our job in here to love the world out there, to bring them to the Lord Jesus Christ in here so God can transform them so they can laugh differently, love differently, live differently, and we're fixing to leave differently. I need you to understand how X2 is going to have to work. Because a lot of you may have came in here and thought we're going to have a, a good three-step point and a, a three-step message with a poem in there and it's going to be great and we'll get a good feeling and going home. I didn't have a good feeling at all preparing this message. I didn't even send it out to leadership and staff till last night about 9.30 because I, I was fighting God on it all week long. And I finally said, God, I can't fight you no more. <laughs> I'm just going to say what you want said. And if they all leave, they all have to leave. I, get, I don't know. It gets like that sometimes. And do you see how just even in the ministry with the pressure of everything that goes on, how I've already failed at the living differently. I don't live to have a need just to please God, but I want to make sure the church gets a good, happy word. And if you do these things, you're going to have a good, happy word. But sometimes the delivery of it isn't always so happy. In this process of loving differently, living differently, laughing differently, God didn't set us up to be here forever. He set us up to leave differently. I love the last parts of this chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, chapter number seven, verses seven through 24. You got... Four or five subheadings, four of them are this. 
ask, seek, and knock. My specialized subheadings were keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Some of you are sitting here this morning already thinking, Pastor, there is no way I can live up to laughing differently, much less loving differently, much less even trying to live differently. Well, listen, I'm not asking you to change it all this morning. I'm asking you to take a step and start something this morning. I'm asking you to keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking all year long. I'm asking you today what you start. Don't let it just end today. Let it be the start of something today that's a, that, that carries you all year long, that I'm going to live my life in the way that these three chapters of the Bible say. I'm going to get reacquainted with Jesus Christ and he said first of all I need to keep asking keep seeking keep knocking I'm gonna keep pressing in to who Christ is I'm gonna keep pressing in to who God is I'm gonna keep pressing in to the things of God like never before and then the Bible says you will know them by their fruits listen I pray that this year we produce more fruit as a church than we've ever produced in the history of the church and, and so much so, don't even think of, of ever before as like this year compared to last year. This year, I would love to see so much fruit produced that it trumps all previous 14 years combined. I want to see that kind of fruit. I want to see that kind of operation in our life. I like truly, I believe this is our finest hour up to this point as a church. And I believe that God has called us into the year 2014 because you can live like Jesus lived in the year 2014. I believe you can laugh differently. I believe you can love differently. I believe you can live differently. I believe you can leave differently. One of the other subheadings throughout that chapter is this, I never knew you. And every time I get to that, I'm like, oh, Lord, because there's some serious stuff in there. It says, Lord, Lord, in those days, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do all these good things in your name? And God's going to say, I never knew you. As we begin to get reacquainted with Jesus Christ, some of you are going to realize that throughout this year, you've been going to church for a long, long time, but you've been a religious person in a chair, and you had never really been known by him. See, here's the difference. We can all sit in this room and say, we know God. The question is, does God know us? And you say, well, yeah, he's, he's omnipotent, he's omnipresent, he knows everything, he's all-knowing God. He may know who you are, but does he know you intimately? That word knew is the same word it talks about knew in the Old Testament where it said Adam knew his wife Eve and they conceived and gave birth to a son. Does God know you, know you? Does God have relationship with you? Not just through corporate worship on Sunday morning, but through seven days a week, does he have relationship with you? The last one, it talks about how you leave, talks about this, it says, to build your house on the rock. Build it. Build your house on the rock. See, God's got something specifically designed for you this year that God's saying, I need you to build it, but when you start building it, make sure you're building it in the right place. Make sure you're building it on the rock of Jesus Christ. The reason, the number one reason I need you to get reacquainted with Jesus Christ is because many of you are gonna take steps of faith in the first three months of this year into callings that you never dreamed or thought or desired about and they weren't even a thought in your mind today. You're gonna step out and start doing things by faith and when you do them, I've gotta have you do it built on laughing differently, loving differently and living differently because you know Jesus Christ, not just on what your grandmama told you growing up in church. Because if you built it on what your grandmama said, I'm sorry, the winds are going to come, the waves are going to come, the rain's going to come. And the Bible said that the house that was built upon the sand didn't just collapse. It had a great fall, a great fall. And it breaks my heart to see believers step out and try something. And because we built it on the wrong foundation, it has a great fall. And there's, there's church catastrophes that happen because of the great falls that take place. This year, church, I want you, I just desperately desire for you to get reacquainted with Christ Jesus, to get reacquainted with who Christ Jesus is. 
Christ tells us how to leave our mark on the world. How can TWBC do what it was ordained to do since before the world was formed, before time began? I believe this church was ordained in the heavens to do something mighty for the kingdom of God that every one of you here and me here have a part in this awesome thing that God is doing right here in Northeast Texas that's never been done before. But I believe with all my heart, God wants us to leave a mark and leave a legacy on this generation for what he's called us to do, for the purpose and plans and destiny that he's called us to do right here in this world. And this is how he tells us to do it. He tells us if you're ever going to leave a mark on this world, this is what you do. You need to learn to laugh. You need to learn to love. You need to learn to live and you need to learn how to leave. I'm going to ask you this morning, how are you going to leave today? How are you going to leave this morning? Many of you have heard every word that I've said and you felt several pricks in your heart of, wow, that's me. Wow, that's me. Wow, that's me. Some of you are thinking, pastor, I don't even know where to begin. But my one question is, is how are you going to leave right here this morning? Because if we as a church are going to leave a mark on this generation, it's going to take many individuals leaving their mark on a service.